2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would find 2 Timothy, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2 in your copy of the Word of God as we return this morning to our series, Rising to the Challenge. And uh, we're going to look this morning at the subject matter, Christian success. God looks at success much differently than the world does. Uh, Christian success, and we're going to look at the different images that Paul uh, gives to Timothy that communicates that truth. Now let's, uh, let's dive in to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And God, this morning we do pray that you would give us understanding. As we look at these various snapshots that the Apostle Paul will give to Timothy about Christian success. Lord, I pray that we would be able to lay our lives down alongside of these snapshots. And they would be a challenge to us of how we are to live in these days. Lord, we need to be equipped as your servants. We need to be ready. Because we're to be salt and light in a lost age. We're to reach out to other people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So Lord, give us ears to hear this morning what your spirit would have us to see, to learn, to apply, that our lives might be transformed, that we might be vessels in your hands, ready for whatever you call us to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In 1923, a group of the world's most successful financiers met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, Illinois. The following were present. The president of the largest utility company at the time. The greatest wheat speculator. The soon-to-be president of the New York Stock Exchange a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear in Wall Street, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, and the head of the world's greatest monopoly. Folks, that was quite a group of businessmen who met. And collectively, these tycoons controlled more wealth that was, than was in the entire U.S. Treasury at the time. And for years, newspapers and magazines had been printing their success stories. And holding these men up to the young people in the nation as the example of what the young people needed to be like. They were challenging young people to stay in school and get an education and, and get a good job and be successful just like these men that I've just mentioned. And yet 25 years later, let's look at their lives. Let's see if they really were a success. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, not to be confused with the Charles Schwab in the financial world of today, but Charles Schwab at the time, the president of the largest independent steel company, he lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and he died broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, was indicted for tax evasion of hundreds of thousands of dollars and he died before being brought to trial. 
The soon-to-be president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, ended up serving a term in Sing Sing Prison and was paroled after three and a half years. The member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, he was indicted in 1929 for accepting a bribe from a prominent oil man. He was fined $100,000 and sentenced to one year in prison. He was pardoned from prison after 10 months due to ill health. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, also known as the Wall Street Wonder. He was one of the speculators blamed for having precipitated the great crash of the stock market in 1929. He committed suicide one week after Thanksgiving in 1940. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, committed suicide. Folks, all of these men had learned how to make money, but it would certainly appear that not one of them had learned what life is truly about. None of them would be a success, I believe, in God's sight. The things that God looks for in our lives so that one day we might hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, the world is enamored with success. Fortune magazine uh, each year and other publications put out the names of prominent individuals and companies and they hold these individuals and companies up as models for everybody else. And the message they contain is very clear that success is determined by what kind of position you have in life, how much money that you have in your bank account, or how many people that you control. It's no wonder that some years ago, Lee Iacocca's autobiography went to the very top of the bestseller, bestsellers chart. I also think today about Jack Welch, who was the, the president and CEO of General Electric. While he was in that position, General Electric rose in value by 4,000%. And today, people are continuing to buy the materials that Jack Welch writes on leadership and management. The world is enamored with success. But folks, you and I need to understand this morning that God looks at success in a very different way. You may never be in the who's who uh, manuals of American society today, but you can be a success in God's sight. And we need to know as the church that God measures success differently. I think of Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament. He was known as the prince of the prophets because he wrote so much about the coming of the Messiah. And yet God told Isaiah that he was going to talk to people about the word of God but nobody was going to listen and nobody was going to see what he was talking about. And yet, was Isaiah a success? Absolutely. In this passage that we turn to look at today, Timothy is being told about success. Paul is pointing out to him what is going to be involved in his life as he pastors the church at Ephesus. Paul is going to communicate to Timothy what what God is looking for in a believer's life. And he's going to give Timothy five images, five snapshots to grab a hold to. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Those five snapshots and the biblical point that lays right alongside of each one of those snapshots. Folks, I want, I want to challenge you this morning that you would lay your life down alongside each one of these snapshots and you would be willing to say, God, teach me, show me how I am doing in each one of these areas. 
Folks, we're going to see this morning that God measures success by whether or not you and I are growing in our relationship to Christ. And as we're growing in our relationship to Christ, are we investing our lives in other people? And are we keeping our lives free from all the entanglements in the world so that we can be a good soldier of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to see success is according to this passage. Now the first two images are implied or inferred. The last three images are very explicit because Paul names them very clearly. But the first image I want to uh, get you to look at this morning is the image of a growing child. And we're going to see the truth that success in the Christian life consists of a growing relationship with Christ. Look again at verse 1. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Your translations may say, be made strong. Be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now folks, I could preach an entire sermon on that phrase right there alone. That you and I are to be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because you see in the Greek text there are three things that are very evident that are not as evident in English translations. But there are three things communicated in that phrase that have to do with voice and case and tense that help communicate exactly what Paul is challenging Timothy to do when he says, be made strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First of all, we need to understand that it is in the passive. Be made strong. In other words, you don't make yourself strong, but you allow Christ to make you strong. That means that the secret of a Christian strength and maturity is not in himself, but it is in Christ living his life in and through us. Some people say, Pastor, I'm just doing the best that I can. Well, folks, stop doing the best that you can. Concentrate on your relationship to Christ and let Christ live his life in and through you. That's the secret of Christian growth. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make ourselves strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is a work that God does in our life. And we are to yield to that. We are to surrender to that. Our lives are to be that living sacrifice that we present to him day in and day out so that he can make us strong. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 15 when he said that he's the vine, we're the branches, and we can do nothing apart from him. Are you growing in your relationship to Christ? Are you abiding in Him? Are you allowing Jesus Christ to strengthen you in your life by His grace? Well, along with it being in the passive, it's also either the locative case or the instrumental case. You could argue either, and translators uh, argue it differently. Some say be, be strengthened in the grace, and others say by the grace. If it's instrumental, it's by the grace of God. God's grace is made available to us through a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, folks, grace is the means by which we are saved. But grace is also the means by which we grow. It could be the locative case, be made strong in the grace, in the arena of God's grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so we are to be made strong in grace and by grace. It could be both. It's like faith. Romans 1 tells us that we need faith in order to be saved. It also tells us that after we're saved, we need to live by faith. In Romans 1.17, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Well, folks, it's the same with God's grace. We wouldn't have salvation without God's grace, and we wouldn't have the strength to go on without grace either. And so we are to grow in the grace that God has already given given us at salvation 
Remember what Paul challenged Timothy with back in chapter 1. He said, Timothy, suffer with me. Hang in there with me. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. How can we do that? How could Timothy do that? Only through the strength that God gives us. It's also in the imperative. When the Bible says here, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's not supposed to be an option in the Christian life that you and I grow. It is God's intention that you grow in your Christian faith. The Bible says that God takes his spirit and his word. And his spirit applies his word to our lives and our hearts. So that we will be transformed in the way that we live our lives. Now I want to ask you this morning, is that happening in your life? Are you like a growing child? Are you growing in your relationship to Jesus Christ? I want you to understand something very important this morning. Your salvation was not the end of your spiritual journey. It was the beginning of your spiritual journey. Sometimes people have the attitude, now that I'm saved, now that I'm born again, I can just kind of sit back and relax and uh, kick it in neutral. No, no, no. You need to take intentional steps to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Folks, I don't care how old you are. You can be 85 years of age and spiritually speaking, you still need to be like a growing child. Is that happening in your spiritual life? You know, the type of strength that the world loves is physical strength. But again, God's ways are different. And so how are you growing spiritually? How are you growing spiritually? Apply the simple rules of growing. There's no secret to Christian growth. You've got to eat and drink and exercise and sleep. In other words, you've got to feed on God's Word. You've got to drink it in. You've got to pray. And you've got to fellowship with other believers. And you've got to serve and you've got to hide God's Word in your heart. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, growth has to be intentional in your Christian walk. You've got to keep your time with God. You've got to wait on God. And you've got to study the scriptures. It's like physical growth. You've got to eat properly and sleep properly and exercise properly. I'm always reminded about the story of a pastor that I used to work with, Ned Matthews. Ned is probably six foot one and 210 pounds, so he's a good-sized man. And we were talking one day, and he was sharing with me a little bit about his childhood, how he grew up. And he talked about how little and scrawny he was and how underweight he was and how he just didn't grow. And I said, Ned, why was that? He said, Scott, because I grew up very, very poor. He said, oftentimes we didn't even have food in the house. And then he said, when I was an 11-year-old boy, my dad died. And so we were already poor. And after my dad died, we went in extreme poverty. And he said, my mom tried to do the very best that she could taking care of us kids. But she had a lot of kids to take care of. And he said, Scott, honestly, there were a lot of days and weeks that we would go to to the cabinets or the refrigerator at home and we'd open those up and there was no food whatsoever. He said, we didn't have food to eat. And so I didn't grow. Folks, spiritual growth is like physical growth. To grow, you've got to eat. You've got to do everything associated with growth. It's It's... That way in your spiritual life. Listen, you are not going to grow in Christ unless you take very definite steps to grow. Now, how are we to grow? Well, I think the life of the Lord Jesus gives us the model for that. Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, he grew intellectually, he grew physically, he grew spiritually, and he grew socially. And that's a pattern for each one of us. I want to ask you this morning, what are you doing to grow intellectually as a Christian? 
Folks, like it or not, Christians living in this age, we've got to prepare our minds because we live in a culture that doesn't accept the foundation of the Word of God like generations ago. And so we've got to prepare our minds if we're going to be a witness to this generation. We've got to grow intellectually. And think of all the great materials and resources that we have today that Christians in previous generations didn't have. Are you growing intellectually as a believer? Are you growing in your understanding of God's Word? Are you preparing your mind so that you can be a witness to unbelievers at work and at school? Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we are to be prepared so that we can always give an account of the hope that we have within us. Well, folks, if you're going to be prepared to be able to do that, guess what? You've got to grow intellectually. What steps are you doing to do that? You've got to grow physically. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you taking care of your temple so that you can be ready to go and minister. You see, if, if there are things involved in your life physically and you're hurting your health or your health is compromised, you might not be able to serve the Lord the way you would like to. There's a lot of mission organizations now. They're doing a much better job of screening missionary candidates about their health. And if you're in poor health, they're not going to send you somewhere around the world because you might get on foreign soil and they'll have to bring you back or there may not be the medical attention there on foreign soil that you're going to need and so they may not appoint you you say why is that so significant because God may call you any one of us God may call us into missions on a, on a foreign field somewhere are you going to be ready physically to be able to have the stamina and the endurance to go and do that you need to grow physically you need to take care of your body that God's given you are you growing socially the Bible says Jesus grew in favor with God and man. He grew socially. Do you love the brethren? Do you love meeting together and encouraging one another, not just in church, but even outside of church? The book of Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. Folks, the last thing we need to do as Christians is just kind of draw a little circle around ourselves and go into a shell and be all by ourselves. Hebrews 10.25 says, We're to meet together and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some, but we're to meet together and stir one another up to love love and good deeds and all the more as you see the day approaching are you growing socially are you growing spiritually Jesus grew in favor with God spiritually so what steps are you doing to mature your faith again folks no matter what age you are you can be one of these young people in here this morning or you can be one of the senior adults in this service and you need to be a growing child and I need to be a growing child we need to always be growing always maturing in our faith and we need to let Jesus be our model in this regard now a second snapshot or image that Paul gave to Timothy in this uh, recipe for Christian success was that of a teacher and we see the truth there that success in the Christian life consists of entrusting to faithful men what you've heard there in verse 2 he says what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also and so here we see the illustration of a steward or a teacher you see, folks, when we are growing in Christ, the last thing we're supposed to do is keep everything to ourselves. We are to invest in others. We're to help others grow in their Christian faith. 
We have school teachers in our church here and their passion is to invest their lives in their students. They want to see their students grow whether it's in English or math or science or whatever the discipline is. Their passion is to help their students grow. And you know what? That's how we ought to be as Christians. We ought to be investing our lives in others and it ought to be the passion of every single Christian that those around them that they're investing in are also growing our Christianity is not to be the mentality that says us for and no more we have our little group and we have it just the way we like it no 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 folks we are always to be looking out to see who else we could be touching with the gospel and investing our lives in are you doing that as a believer I want you to understand what Paul is commanding Timothy to do here. Because you see, again, Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus where Paul had been. And now Paul is in Rome. And Paul is going to say at the end of this letter that he wants Timothy to leave Ephesus and come to Rome because he needs him there. But the apostle Paul doesn't want the church at Ephesus without leadership. And so he's telling Timothy... Timothy here to invest in others so that when Timothy leaves Ephesus and goes to Paul the church will still have leadership and teachers there so that it can continue to grow you see this continuing pattern that is to be a part of our lives you are not saved simply for yourself Yes, when you're saved, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you've got a home in heaven waiting on you. But the Bible is very clear as a believer, you are to have eyes for other people. That they can stand before the Lord likewise one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so you need to be witnessing to people and winning them to the Lord. And then you and I need to be discipling those that we win to the Lord. We're to be a teacher to them. We're to continually be passing along what God has blessed us with what a shame that so many of us sit on all the blessings that God has given to us and we don't do anything with them to impact other people's lives folks that's a crying shame we're to be investing in others. Notice what Paul says to Timothy here, that Timothy was taught by Paul publicly. In other words, there were no secretive doctrines that were passed along as the false teachers did behind closed doors. The gospel was preached out in the open for everybody to hear along with Timothy, just like it's done today. Timothy is to take what he's been taught to him in church publicly and he's to pass that on. He's not to peddle in new ideas and novelties. A preacher or a teacher of the gospel is to never have as his intent and purpose every week to try to get up and tell some, something new to everybody that nobody has ever heard before. No, we don't peddle in novelties. We are to pass along the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude verse 3 tells us to do. There may be new applications to the truth as the years go by, but folks, the truth of the gospel remains the same from generation to generation. I want you to notice here that Timothy is to be a teacher and he's to entrust to faithful men. I want you to underscore faithful men or reliable men. He's to, he's to find reliable people and disciple them and be a teacher to them. What is God looking for? Is God looking for PhDs? Do you have to be eloquent? Do you have to be smarter than everybody else or better looking than everybody else? No, aren't you glad we don't have to be like that? As Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You may not be eloquent. You may not be who's who. But you can be reliable. God is looking for reliable men and women. Faithful men and women. 
Faithful men and women who will take what is entrusted to them and they'll invest it in other people. They'll find other reliable people that they can pass it on so the gospel through the generations continues to grow and the nations are reached for Christ. Are you reliable? That's one of the big issues in the church today. Ministers talk about the problem of getting people to be faithful at doing anything. You can get people to be faithful at doing something for a couple of weeks. But what about for a year? We're getting ready to elect deacons. And we're going to be asking these men to invest three years of their life in being a deacon. God is after reliable people. Are you reliable? Are you the type of disciple that just likes everything comfortable and everything convenient and you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone or, or out anything that's beyond your convenience? Folks, you and I need to be faithful. We need to be reliable. God's looking for men and women who will be reliable. Who are you investing in? When, when we read verse 2 here and it says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. I want you to think of how that phrase, entrust, is used in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. There's a beautiful trilogy there. In chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says he's entrusted his life and ministry to the Lord. In verse 14, he says the Lord has entrusted the gospel to him to guard. And then in chapter 2 verse 2 he says we're to entrust in, uh, to other people and so we entrust to God God entrusts his truth to us and then we entrust it to others you see there's to be this continual flow the exciting thing to see is as we entrust the gospel to other people we see the power of God to change lives Folks, if you're a teacher in the church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it is your joy as you stand before your class week in and week out and you're teaching the Word of God. It's exciting to see those light bulbs come on as people finally understand what the Lord is saying through His Word. And you see their lives being transformed. It, it is a joy to be a teacher of the gospel investing in other people when you see other people getting it. And they begin growing too. Timothy's to be a growing child, but he's to be a teacher passing along. The third image is that of a soldier. A soldier. And we see there that success in the Christian life consists in a supreme allegiance to Jesus that is even willing to suffer for the gospel. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian uh, pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now here's the picture of one who is willing to suffer hardship in behalf of the interest of another. Every year on Memorial Day weekend and at July 4th, we salute those in our church who are in the armed services or who have served in the armed services. And they can tell you a whole lot better than I could. When you enlist in the army or whatever, you turn in your civilian clothes, you get your uniform, and guess what, young man? You're in the army now. You want to do your own thing whenever you want to do it? I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. You want to sleep late? You better not. You better get up when the bugle sounds. You better fall in ranks with everybody else. You want steak to eat tonight at supper? You'll get whatever they put on your plate that night in the mess hall. You want to go home and visit mama and daddy this weekend? Sorry, you'll go home when you get a pass to go home. In other words, every aspect of your life is controlled by your commanding officer. And it's your job to please him. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, that's how we're to be as Christians. We're to understand that we're in the Lord's army. 
And in the Lord's army, there's a lot to endure. Your service may take you away from your family and friends. God may call you to go somewhere else on foreign soil to serve as the soldier of the cross there. And guess what? You might never make it back home. Before long, we're going to be coming up on the Christmas holiday and celebrating the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Lottie Moon was a lady who stood a whopping four feet, three inches tall. And she was a single lady and she felt called to go to China as a missionary. And there on foreign soil in China, Lottie Moon poured out her life. Her health diminished. She got so weak because the Chinese people at the time were going through a famine. All the other missionaries around Lottie who saw her said Lottie you're not doing so well physically you need to go home she was a senior adult lady and she was getting weaker and weaker and weaker and yet pouring out her soul there in China as a good soldier of Jesus Christ they put her on a boat to go back home and guess what on that boat she died she never made it back home to America she was a good soldier of Jesus Christ And that's how you and I are to be. We're to be a good soldier. And realize that our supreme allegiance is to Jesus. And we've got to be willing to either even suffer for the gospel. Remember that guy that ran up to Jesus on one occasion? And he said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. But first of all, let me go home and bury my dad. And Jesus said, no, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. You say, what, was Jesus telling the young man he couldn't even go to his dad's own funeral service? That's not what Jesus was saying at all. That young man was basically saying, Lord, let me go back home and be with my parents. They may live another five years. They may live another 20 years. But let me wait until all my family commitments, they're dead and gone. And when I don't have any other family commitments, one of these days, some point in the future, then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus said, no, you can't do that. You follow me now. A good soldier of the cross. Folks, we've got to realize we're in spiritual warfare. We're in battle. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we struggle not against just flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and high places. There are too many Christians in the church nowadays who have a cruise ship mentality when we ought to have a battleship mentality. Are you living your life as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? You know, the Christian soldier struggles against three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I think one of Satan's chief weapons in the modern church is diverting us and getting us to consume our lives on the things of this world and focus on all of the wrong things. You might even be focused on something good in your life. That in and of itself, it's not bad. But it is an enemy of the best. Is there some kind of entanglement in your life right now? Something that is consuming your time and interest to such a degree that you're not the faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. You're not the soldier of the cross that you ought to be because your life is so consumed with whatever it is. As a soldier, you need to deal with that. You need to deal with whatever distractions are in your life that's keeping you from being the disciple that Christ would have you to be. A soldier of the cross. That's a word that Timothy needed to hear. And folks, I believe it is a word that we today need to hear as well. A fourth image is that of an athlete. Success in the Christian life involves a willingness to discipline your life for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, what is it that stands out about an athlete? An athlete has got to be disciplined and self-controlled. 
Folks, the athletes in the ancient world had to offer proof that they had rigorously trained for their event for 10 full months. And then the last two months of their training, they had to all come together in a common place under a watchful eye of a supervisor who would sign off that they had competed, that they had trained and disciplined themselves according to the rules. You think we're fanatic? about games today the Greeks the ancient Greeks were probably even more so and then when the games began all of the athletes obviously had to compete according to the rules because you could be disqualified and finally when there was a winner to the games they would call the winner up on what was known as the bema seat the judgment seat Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that one day we're all going to have to appear before the bema seat of Christ he's playing off of that sports imagery how there would be that bema seat or platform in towns and the athletes would come up to the bema seat and they would be awarded the prize if it had been shown that they had competed according to the rules. Because you see, they could do all the training right, all the discipline right, break the rules, and be disqualified. I want you to think about that as a Christian. Think of all the Christians we've seen, leaders in the past 30 or 40 years that haven't exercised self-control or discipline in their lives and they were disqualified. They didn't lose their salvation because the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But they lose their respect as ever being leaders again because they disqualified themselves. Are you disciplining your life in terms of your Christian growth so that you won't be disqualified? Are you disciplining your life in the Christian faith? What a shame that more that modern day athletes discipline their lives and train more than Christians do. Folks, I guarantee you that athletes right here in the Concord area who are training right now to run in some kind of marathon, they were probably up early this morning and they were out hitting the pavement. They were training. How many of us this morning disciplined ourselves that we got up and early this morning we were in prayer and we were in the study of God's Word? We were disciplining ourselves in godliness. And the word he uses here for a crown is the word Stephanos. It's not even a crown like we think of a crown today. A Stephanos was just a, a wreath of leaves that would be withered in a couple of weeks. Think about that. The ancient athletes would go through all the training, all the discipline, all the effort that they would go through so that they could win the race or the wrestling match. They would be called up on the bema seat in front of everybody else in town and they would receive a wreath that was going to be perishing in a couple of weeks but uh, the Bible says you and I get a wreath that will never perish a crown that is unfading are you a good athlete for the Lord disciplining yourself for godliness competing according to the rules a growing child a teacher, a soldier, an athlete. He's not done yet though. Look at the last image that he gives to Timothy. That of a farmer. And he points out that success in the Christian life involves hard work for the purposes of God. He says here in verse 6, It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Folks, it is hard work to be a farmer. I've known enough of them. Let me ask you, how many, how many in here grew up farming? Anybody? Yeah, we've got some hands going up. You know what hard work it is. I remember in my first church out of seminary, by God's grace, I'll be going there in a couple of weeks. Actually, on Connie's birthday, they've asked me to come back and preach homecoming service that day. But my first church there was in a farming community, and I used to love to get out and help some of the farmers. 
I'd help them milk. There were a lot of dairy farmers. We'd milk the cows. We'd get up hay. Now that wasn't so much fun. Because we'd be on this wagon behind a tractor in the hay baler. And we'd be stacking those bales of hay up. time we were said and done, that, that uh, trailer would be 15, 16 feet high with bales of hay. And we'd be sitting up on top. We'd be so sweaty and hot because it was so humid and hot outside. And you'd have that hay little bits stuck all to you. You'd be itchy. And then you'd get to the barn, have to put it on a conveyor belt, send it up to the loft. Everybody get up there in the loft. There was no breeze, no wind. It was hot and stuffy up there like just a hot oven room. And you'd have to uh, stack everything up there and get it in order. It was hard work. Now, I just did it as a hot hobby to help them from time to time they did it every day of their lives it's hard work to be a farmer but I want you to think about what a farmer does he prepares the soil as a Christian farmer how do you prepare the soil you ought to be praying for those that you're trying to witness to and impact for the gospel preparing Building relationships with people and praying for them. Then what does a farmer do? A farmer puts the seed in the ground. What does a Christian farmer do? We put the seed of the Word of God in human hearts. We share the gospel and we pray for people. Then what does a farmer do? He sits back and waits. He has to be patient because you don't put the seed in the ground today and get the crop tomorrow. Sometimes in witnessing to people or working with people, we think we're supposed to see instant results with people in the church and we don't sometimes it's a long time you got to be patient and then comes the harvest a faithful Christian is to be like a farmer preparing the soil planting the seed sitting back waiting and praying and then comes the harvest Folks, there's something I want you to understand this morning about this passage. Images, pictures in our mind, they, they communicate, don't they? Pictures communicate in a powerful way. Have you ever heard the saying, a picture paints a thousand words? Sure you have. Well, we have five pictures here of a successful Christian. Somebody who's growing in their relationship to Christ. Growing intellectually, physically, socially, and spiritually. A growing child. How are you doing at that? Have you stopped growing as a Christian? In just a moment, we're going to be singing a hymn of invitation. And there may be people in this service this morning that would need to confess to God. God, I've stopped growing. I'm a believer, but I'm not growing in my faith. I'm not maturing. I'm not preparing my mind and my body to be a good servant of yours. A growing child. A teacher. How are you doing at influencing other people? You see, every one of us in here, myself included, we have people around us that are are our circles of influence. I can reach people you can't reach, and you can reach people I can't reach. Every one of us has a circle of influence. How are you doing at investing your life in those God has put around you? Do you think it's an accident, the relationships that you have? Folks, as Christians, you know how we, we need to start seeing people, everybody around. Even some of those people at work, maybe, or at school that you don't particularly like. We need to start seeing those people as somebody that God loves and we need to try to reach them for the gospel. So as a teacher, how can I invest my life in them? During the invitation time, you, need to, you may need to pray about people in your circles of influence. God might be putting somebody on your heart that you need to start doing a better job with. A soldier. 
A soldier who is free of entanglements during the invitation time. Guess what? There may be some entanglements in your life that God brings to your attention. Entanglements that are keeping you from being a soldier of the cross that you need to be. Are you willing to deal with that? Are you willing to give your supreme allegiance to Jesus Christ and Him alone? An athlete. Are you disciplining yourself for the sake of godliness? Are you purposing in your heart to be like an athlete for the Lord who's competing according to the rules, who will win the prize one day and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. A farmer, hard work, Are you laboring in the Lord's fields? Are you being a servant for Him, preparing the soil, planting the seed, waiting and harvesting? Powerful images of what Christian success is all about. All these voices in the world that tell us what success is, don't believe it. Folks, believe what God's Word says about success. Because what they're doing, they are doing for the temporary praise of men. What you and I do, we ought to be doing for the eternal praise and glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these images, these pictures Of what the Christian life is to be. And as the passage closes. Paul says think on these things. Meditate on these things. And the Lord will give you understanding. God I believe. As we meditate on these images. You'll speak to us. You'll speak to us about being a growing child about being a teacher, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. God, may we live our lives right now in such a way that one day we will be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us not to care one bit about being a success in the eyes of men. I pray that our passion would be to be a success in your eyes. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.